we want to thank you guys for standing with us. We want to thank you for your support, for your love, for your, uh, the communication you've had with us while we were away, for the finances that you gave into our trip. We missed you. We thought of you. We prayed for you. And um, when, we, when we, we went into Johannesburg, South Africa, and first ministered at the church that Minda made uh, mention of, Santon City Church, which is the church they once led there, which is like a sister church to this church now, and they wanted to know all about you and what was going on, and so we gave good reports, and they are praying for you. Uh, we also ministered in a few other churches when we were in South Africa, but then went up, as we say, up into Africa. From, from South Africa, we go up into other parts of Africa. And we had a, recently had a three-week trip where we went into the DRC, Rwanda, and the Burundi, which was for the first time in Burundi. The DRC is the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And so we started there, and when we go into the DRC, we, we most, most often go to a city called Bukavu, which is just over the border from Rwanda. And uh, after the genocide in Rwanda, a lot of the, those that were responsible for the genocide a number of years ago escaped over to the border. And so there is still a lot of rebel activity in the forest in the Bukavu area. Uh, so one of the things that, that I enjoy doing when we are in the Bukavu, and we, we repeat our trips there because our missions there because of the relationships that God has made for us the opening that he's given us that we keep building on what we, what we do each time. But I've been fortunate enough to connect with a doctor there who is the director of a medical, um, he's the medical director of a small hospital, SELPA hospital. He's an orthopedic surgeon there and he's become very dear to me. He's almost like a spiritual son to me. He calls me mama. He says, I'm, I'm his mama. He always says that. And uh, I enjoy, I've always had a heart for, to see that medical work gets into remote places. And so connecting with him has been very fulfilling for me because he gives me opportunity to, to uh, be in surgery with him. Uh, this time I was fortunate enough to help deliver a baby, which was just awesome for me, and then uh, make medical rounds with him and see the kind of conditions that some of the people deal with that come to the hospital there. But the thing that I'm involved with the most in the hospital is to spend time with girls that have been victims of sexual violence. And so this, on this mission, we had three other ladies with us besides myself, and we, we saw about 80 of these girls that had come through the hospital that had had uh, work done by, uh, that had been attended to by Dr. Sostein. And uh, we, these are girls that have suffered in violent ways. They, they, I, I'm not going to tell you any individual stories, but a good number of them have witnessed such things as their parents being killed or the siblings being killed, themselves being threatened, uh, being tied up before they're raped, gang raped, violently raped, um, being threatened, their lives being threatened, being beaten, um, sometimes having to have surgery after, after their rapes, uh, being, often being, these women are left pregnant to have children that will never know their father. Um, they, they've, just, they, they've, left, they've been left homeless. They've, they're left uh, without any family being interested in them. It's almost like they're cursed after these things happen. They're disowned by family, by villages. And so you can imagine the despair, the heartache, the pain that they've suffered. And so we just want to instill hope in them because we, got, we have access to them, because we have an opportunity to meet with them. And so uh, and on this trip, as we've been doing in the past, we, we tend to teach them some, some skills. You know, we, this time we, we did some, made some more bracelets, such as the one I have on. Uh, we taught them some embroidery work. 
But we spent time with them, discipling them in the things of the Lord and doing one-on-one um, counseling, just taking the opportunity to hear their stories, to help bring relief and release to them from all the burden that they've been carrying. And for some of them, it's the first time they've been, had an opportunity to do that. One girl that came through this time and met with me, she said, uh, so-and-so, the girl's name, told me yesterday, a friend of hers, said that I must come to the hospital and have Miss Nita pray with me if I want to have the same smile on my face that she had on her face yesterday after she was prayed for. We introduce them to the Lord. We, we teach them that they can pray to God themselves and how they can, uh, how they can forgive, how God gives the grace, the ability to forgive and to go on in life. So this has just been a very rewarding opportunity. But Rodney was busy with other things in Bukavu. In Bukavu, we, uh, we were involved with a church. It's not really an NCMI partnering church, but it's the church that Dr. Sosthene is a part of. We'd preached there last year, and the pastor had invited me to come back and do a week-long uh, seminar, really, for the leaders, about 120 pastors and other church leaders from about 57 churches. And uh, we did Monday through Friday there, and uh, it was a very fruitful time. And then there were uh, two services Sunday morning, and then there were two uh, evening services during that week. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, we saw about 118 people receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior uh, during that particular time and also when we were in Burundi. And it was a rich time to sow into the lives of pastors that are very hungry and also to see uh, a bit of a harvest come in. Okay, and then from there we went into Rwanda. We love going into Rwanda and seeing how that, that the whole nation is, is just really being restored after the genocide. Uh, we ministered in a church that's in CMI partnering, uh, a new church that we'd never been in that we were asked to go to. We ministered with a uh, we went to a ministry that we've been with for the last four or five years that deals particularly with young college graduates or young professionals. And we were asked to minister on from dreams to destiny. In other words, how do you receive a God-given dream or, or passion from God? And how do you nurture that? And how do you see that come to fruition? And so that's, that's always very fulfilling for us to share with young people. Um, and then we were just met with other ministries. Uh, we got to visit an orphanage, a place that used to be an orphanage. It's a life center now. Once they had 700 orphans there, it was run by dear friends of ours in South Africa. And now it's a life uh, where they're teaching life skills. Yeah, they, it was an orphanage after, right after the genocide, sorry. And then, uh, but now as those orphans have grown up and been uh, released into society, they, it's become a life center. And so just to see uh, how that nation is being restored, and so much of it I think is because of the churches that have really played such an in, important part in that nation. Then we went into Burundi, like I said, for the first time. We were a part of a team with two other me, uh, minister, a minister and a businessman who uh, teamed up with us, and we were part of a, uh, the N, it was an NCMI uh, Burundi Equip is what it was called, meetings where we had about 200 church leaders from all over the nation gathered in, in the capital city of Bujumbura. And we had morning, afternoon meetings and, and had opportunity to relate one-on-one -on -one with them. And uh, I'll just tell you one of the highlights for me of those meetings uh, was that uh, one, one day Rodney was ministering one afternoon and toward the end of his message, he got on the subject of forgiveness, which he had not planned to do. But it was just, it was such, so led of the Lord. And when he sat down, the pastor got up 
and sa- of, the, of the church got up and said, said, this is real life, and, and this is not just words. This is what God really wants us to do. And he said, the Lord has really spoken to me during this message and told me that there's someone I need to forgive today, and it's one of my children. And then right after he said that, a couple of other people started coming forward and wanting to express how they needed to forgive others or what they wanted to, how they wanted others to forgive them. And a couple of the men said, you know, this is so new to us to, to realize that God would actually grace us to forgive or to ask for forgiveness from other women. Because Rodney, in the, minutes, in the message, he had us to act out something where an incident that he said really happened a number of years ago that I don't remember, but he said, I started the argument. And, um, and so, but he's, he, he kind of acted it out and showed how, even though I started the argument, how God instructed him to come to me for forgiveness. And even though he didn't think he needed to, God said, but you continued in the argument. So you do need to ask her to forgive you. And so he just showed, showed how, even though it was painful on the flesh to do that when he did it, that there was, you know, restoration in our relationship uh, with what was going on that day. So anyway, some of these men were saying it's very hard for us as Burundians, as men Burundians, to ask women, to ask our wives to forgive us for anything. But we see now that this is necessary. This is the godly life. This is what, this is the way of God and how it will bring uh, restoration in, in, our, in our lives with our marriages. And then, but one that was totally, just was so significant to me, and I'll finish with this, is uh, one man came up and said, there's someone here that I've hurt very badly, and I'm going to ask him to come up. And we all wondered, is somebody going to respond? And he did. A, a pastor came forward and uh, stood by the man. Now, we learned later that what this man wanted to ask forgiveness for was the fact that he had been involved in sexual relationship with this pastor's wife. As soon as the pastor came forward, the man... The other pastor was aware of it. But when he came forward, the man started to get on his knees in front of the man to ask him to forgive him. But the pastor reached down and, w- and brought him up, and he forgave the man. And then he began to pray over him that God would restore the joy and the peace in his life. And then they hugged and embraced. And it was, just, it was, it was not just something uh, simple that happened. It was, a, it was a move of the Spirit. It was significant. It was the, the presence of God. And I just thank God that he brings forth his ways, his principles for us to live by, that he wants all of us to be examples of to others so that they can come into the fullness of life. Thank you guys so much for your love and support. Amen. Amen. It's good to be back in Arizona. We're, we're really enjoying it here. And uh, anyway, no, it's not human in Arizona, but they're going to be 121 tomorrow. The all-time high in Phoenix is 122 in 1990. But anyway, what's a, what's a degree? What's a degree? It's true. <laughs> it's hot. It's not hot, but 122 is hot. As a matter of fact, airliners in 1990, the debt was 122 at the peak time, they canceled. So Delta is right now offering people, if they want to shift from flying earlier in the morning or at night, they'll do it free. Just thought I would let you know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, you have to have a ticket. Okay. <clears throat> it's good to be with you. It really is. Uh, uh, we do consider this our base church or home church. Uh, this is where we base, and uh, it's, it's always good to be back here. 
And so uh, God put something in my heart last night. I really did not know exactly what I was going to be sharing. And, um, but, you know, the words of Jesus, these words have meant so much to me through the years. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus was speaking with Philip, one of his disciples. And he said, have I been such with you for such a long time, Philip? Uh, Philip had just said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you for such a long time, and yet you don't know the Father? And then Jesus said this. He said, Who, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I'm going to develop that a little bit in just a minute, but I, I just want to talk about personally being a father. I honestly do not feel that I have been a particularly good father, but I have an amazing wife who is an amazing mother, along with that and the grace of God. Uh, you know, we do have kids that, that are uh, functioning, and we're happy about that. <laughs> Uh, you know, and so they've had to forgive me. My wife has had to forgive me more than any husband should ever forget, have to forgive uh, their, any wife has ever had to forgive her husband. But uh, we're delighted that we have the children that we have. And um, I've learned a few things, and I'm still learning a few things when it comes to, to, father, to fatherhood. Uh, to begin with, the best example, if you're a father... Or if you have children and a parent, I think it goes either way. The best example that you can give your kids is that you trust God. Uh, you know, your kids learn more from your life than they do from your words. And if, if you live an example of trusting God, that speaks very strongly to your children. Even though it's something that in the natural, as they're young, they may not be able to comprehend, but they begin to notice it. And, and that is really what begins to give them a sense of the supernatural, that we have a big, big father. And then next, leadership is not about domination. Uh, you know, if you're, if, you're the, if you're a husband, you don't exhibit leadership by dominating your wife. You know, that is such a horrible example, and there's nothing in the Bible that even says that. As a matter of fact, uh, God doesn't even operate like that. God doesn't dominate us. And so uh, I've, I've talked to men, and I mean, it's obvious that their wives are dominated by them. And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that uh, many years ago and yesterday. But uh, <laughs> I'm I don't think I did it yesterday. But anyway, so it's not about domination. Leadership's about sacrificial service. Jesus set the example of leadership. You know, one of the most amazing stories to me, I, I just... I'm baffled by it almost. From the beginning of Jesus' life, uh, you know, or when, when we, we see Jesus in the manger, and then we see Jesus at age 12. And at age 12, he already has the revelation that God's his father. And so with that revelation, he submits to his parents for 18 years, being a carpenter and doing whatever. And, and so we see uh, that even though he was God's son and had the revelation that God was his father, he submitted to his parents. And then near the end of Jesus' ministry in the 13th chapter of John, it tells us this. It says that Jesus knew that all things had been given into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. He got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. 
So with the amazing revelation that God had put all things into his hands, what does he do? He exhibits what he had always done, and that is serving. So true authority serves. It doesn't dominate. A sacrificial service. Uh, as a matter of fact, the greatest quality of love is sacrifice. God demonstrates that. God loves the world so much that he gave. He paid the biggest price, the most sacrificial price, which is his son. And so if, if we're going to show leadership, we sacrifice. Uh, we sacrifice with purpose. And leadership always pays a price for self. It doesn't make others pay a price. And so many times we see even church leaders get so out of sorts where everybody's serving the leader rather than the ser leader serving the people. And then I, this is so important. More than money, possessions, and natural security, we need to give our children ourselves, our love, our time, our energy, our ears, our heart, our words of kindness, encouragement, yes, even correction, and discipline, but not brutality. Kids need to be disciplined, and discipline is not a bad word. It doesn't mean beat your kids. It, it, it doesn't even necessarily mean spank your kids. It means to show them the right direction. And, and, and um, correction just simply means to help them see it if they're, if they're lying like that, and they're supposed to be like that to show them the way. So those are things that bring security. Uh, they produce a security that money cannot buy. So that's what our kids need to see. And really, that's what people need to see. All of us have that need in our lives. And I believe this is the way that Jesus demonstrated the Father's heart. He didn't demonstrate the Father's heart by, by being a big shot, but he was... He was available. One of the things that struck me was that Jesus, when it was time for him to be betrayed, uh, Judas, Judas told those who were coming with him to, to arrest Jesus, J Judas told them, Jesus is the one that I will kiss. And that stood out to me because Jesus blended in so much that Judas had to identify him. He didn't stand out. He wasn't the big shot, and so he, he blended in. And so, so that's, that's, that's the amazing way of Jesus. And so Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And a verse to me that depicts it so beautifully is John chapter 1, verse 18 in the New International Version. No one has seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and his closest in relationship to the Father. He has made him known. The contemporary English version reads this way, no one has ever seen God, the only Son who is truly God and is closest to the Father has shown us what God is like. And then the Montgomery New Testament really brings the richness of the Greek word used there in that verse. Uh, the contemporary English version, no, the, the Montgomery New Testament, no man has ever seen God, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has interpreted Him. Because the Greek word there for interpret literally uh, is a word, exegeomahi, which doesn't mean anything to you. It uh, doesn't mean much to me, except it means this. It's the only place in the Scripture that that word is used, and it literally means interpreted. So what does all that mean? 
It says that Jesus interpreted God. That means if you want to see what God the Father is like, then look at the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's what God is like. Jesus was kind to people. Jesus was interested in the downcast. Jesus was interested in helping people. Uh, Jesus uh, was not for himself. And, and that's the way Father God is. And that's the most amazing thing about God is that God is for us. Jesus didn't say, uh, I've come to reveal the judge. He didn't say, if you've seen me, you've seen the judge. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I do believe God is a judge. The Bible is clear about that, but we have to understand how he's a judge. We'll even be judged according to several scriptures. It says, we will stand and give an account to God. But God is judge as a father. We as parents judge our children. Judge doesn't mean destroy. It doesn't mean hellfire and brimstone. It just means sort, sort it out. The, most people are, 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 most people know that we're supposed to be people of good judgment. That means we can discern properly. Is this good or is this not good? And God is a discerner. Uh, and so what I'm saying is Jesus reveals the Father, and yes, he's a judge, but he's a judge as a father, not as a destroyer. And then in James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, every good gift, I'm re, I'm, I've put this together from several translations and also looking at the original Greek, James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, every good gift given in a perfect way comes down to us from our heavenly Father, who is himself light and never varies in his nature and ways. He's very consistent. It was because of his own will and pleasure that he brought us to new birth by the word of truth, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So it says it was according to his will, and I added the word pleasure because the word will, when we think of the will of God, sometimes people look at that in a way that doesn't seem real clear. But the word will is synonymous with the word pleasure. God's will is his pleasure. And so God's will, it was his pleasure that he brought us to the new birth to become his children. And the result of that is that we are out of all creation his prized possession. And then Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I love uh, predictive text. According to this, this is the B-I-G translation, big, but I think it's the N-I-V. So it's a big translation, so pay attention. In verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, God is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy because he loves us so much. Great love manifests in rich mercy. He is so rich in mercy. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. It's not just a, a, a long shot, dark horse, fat chance hope but it's a living hope, it's a living expectation. He's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So it says that two verses there, and there's others, Jesus said in John chapter 3, in two places in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, he said, unless someone is born again, they cannot perceive the kingdom of God. The, the English word is see, but the Greek word literally mean, means perceive. And he also says, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And then two uses here, and there's another place in uh, Peter as well. But I want to talk a minute uh, because God is a responsible father. I love this tweet this morning from Rick Warren. Men, it only takes your sperm to have a child, but it takes wisdom, sacrifice, patience, unselfishness, and God to father a child. And, 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 and really, that's, that's our father. You know, uh, sadly, in, in our world, many times people, just out of selfish pleasure, they bring unwanted children into the world, and that's, that's a real a hardship in the world. And, and God's not like that. We just saw that God, because of His will, His desire, and His pleasure, He caused us to be born again so that He can lavish His love upon us and give us an inheritance that is better than any inheritance and that's waiting for us in heaven. But not only that, but it, it starts with eternal life right now, the moment that we meet Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this in John chapter 3. He was speaking to the Father and He said this. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only wise God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. And so, uh, we see that, that, see, a lot of people think eternal life begins when we die. But eternal life doesn't begin at death. Eternal life begins at faith in Jesus. The moment we receive Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. It's a, it's a life that's beyond the life of the world. We're still in the world, but we live uh, a life. And so, I, uh, just emphasizing uh, the new birth. And, and I want to just bring a few points. And I actually got into this when I was both in, uh, in the Congo and in Burundi. And these are things that I think will help us. There are segments of Christianity. Uh, I don't know that they really believe this, but the implication is that the new birth is everything. The only thing that's important is get people born again. Get them born again and sadly leave them. But that's not the way our Father is. You know, the strength of any relationship, I won't get into all the strengths, but one of the key strengths of relationship is open communication. And, 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 and God openly communicates with us. One of the primary means is the Scriptures. He's left us the Scriptures but also He's given us His Spirit, and He speaks to us by His Spirit, and His Spirit never contradicts the Scriptures. And so, our beginning with God, everyone's beginning with God is called being born again. I'll put it to you like this. Uh, a baby, the beginning of a baby's life, obviously is conception, but as far as in this world, it's birth. 
Being born is the beginning of natural birth. All of us, our life began at birth. Well, spiritual life begins at the new birth. Those who are born again are spiritually alive. That's the beginning. But just like if we have a baby and we just leave the baby at the hospital or, or we don't care for the baby, that baby has life, but there's more to life than being born. So there has to be a development. God's plan is that every believer develop. God the Father wants us to develop. We've got three grandchildren present in this building. They're not in the There's one. <laughs> Paul and Minda desire Peter and John David to develop, to grow, to gain understanding and to produce in life and to, to fulfill that which they're put in the earth. Michael and Jill desire the same for Tallulah. You know, they didn't just leave her. No, she's, she's been born, now she's four years old. And I'm telling you, she's a smart four-year-old girl. Just like my grandsons are smart, 12 and almost 13, and nine, almost 10. And so there has to be development. And our maturity is not based on our knowledge. Knowledge is important. But there's a lot of people that know a lot that are very immature. You have to know, but we have to go beyond that. And so after we are babies or born again, our maturity begins to develop as we begin to respond to what God says. God speaks and we respond. If we can hear what God says, but if we don't begin to put it into practice in our lives, then we're not growing. We can grow in other areas, naturally speaking, but growing spiritually is directly attached to the Spirit of God revealing God's Word to us and then our responding to it. We don't grow by just hearing the Word. We have to put it into practice in order to grow. So after we are born again, the next level, I don't like to call it steps. I don't even like to call it levels. I get tired of catchphrases. We're going to the next level. I get tired of hearing that, but that's my opinion, okay? I like to call it stages or phases. The next stage or phase that we go to, I just call it being on the road to maturity. And that being on the road to maturity begins as I begin to respond to what God says when I treasure what God says. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll sing a lot of songs to me. Did he say that? No, you can sing many songs to Jesus and not truly love him. He said, if you love me, you will do what I say. You'll obey me. And so our obedience to what the Lord says begins to cause us to grow in the things of God. So that's what puts us on the road to maturity. But the thing that's beautiful about this, we're born babies. And as we begin to mature, we are to lose our childishness, but we're to never lose our childlikeness. We're to always retain childlikeness because childlikeness trusts. You know, you get a child and put them up there and I can stand here. I could probably convince my four-year-old granddaughter to jump. Why? Because she trusts me. And, and we're ne never to lose that. Our childlike trust 
to God. But as we grow, it's like Paul said, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I understood like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Well, it should happen long before we become men's, men's or women's, <laughs> that, you know, we begin to put away the childish things. As we begin to mature, never lose the childlikeness, but get rid of the childishness. It takes years sometimes. Sometimes I'm childish. My wife corrects me, but that's good. Anyway, so I'm on the road to maturity. I forget childishness, retain childlikeness. And as I keep active with what God says, I think one of the first symptoms of a potential church leader, whatever that may be, whether it's really a church leader in the sense of pastor or a church leader in any capacity, is he becomes active with what God says. He begins to respond to what the Lord says. You know, it was amazing to see these men freely forgive uh, in, in Africa. And I didn't, I didn't plan that. I didn't, I didn't even plan to speak on forgiveness. The, the message was on humility. And I just felt to throw in one of the, one of the things that you gotta be humble to do is forgive. And I believe the Lord gave that to me. One of the guys, uh, you know, you have to understand witchcraft is real. A lot of people laugh at it, but it's very real. This guy had, had had a neighbor who was involved in witchcraft, did not like his father, and he told him he was going to kill his father. And his father died a few weeks later of no sickness, wasn't poisoned, and then he didn't like his mother either. So this man has it in his heart. He knows for sure this guy has exercised witchcraft, but what can he do? He can't prove it. So that morning he came forward and he said, I'm going to forgive that man and go on in life because I can't have the burden of unforgiveness in my heart. That's an amazing thing. So we mature when we begin to act on what God says. And then as we grow, the next phase, I just simply call it being a servant. And at some point, as, I, as I'm growing and being active with God, God's Word, I, I, my, my focus changes. Life is no longer about me, but I begin to serve people. I begin to see that in the purpose of God, I'm here to serve people. I serve God by serving people. And so, uh, you know, but I never stop maturing. All along, I have to keep maturing. I have to keep maturing now. Maturity always is happening if we keep responding to what God says. And so as we serve, we're faithfully serving. Life is less and less about us. And it's more and more about God and people. That's the, heart, that's the heart of a servant. Jesus demonstrated at the beginning of his life, and he demonstrated at the end of his life, and ultimately when he went to the cross and paid the price for our sins. And then as we serve, I call the next phase leader. But you never stop serving. So you never lose childish, childlikeness. You get rid of childishness. You never lose childlikeness. You, you, you never stop maturing, you never stop serving, but you come into the phase I call a leader, and I don't mean a title, an office, or a position. I mean a person of influence, that you, you begin to increase not your footprint in the earth, but Christ's footprint through you in the earth. And, and that's what Jesus did, and see, God doesn't go around the world and make people respond to him. What does God do? God gets a hold of hearts. And God wants us to shine with his light. He doesn't want us to be religious because God's not the author of religion. 
because what we have, Christianity has become very religious, but walking with Jesus is a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. So God doesn't go around the earth trying to get people, trying to force people, but what he does is he gets a hold of hearts. And God doesn't primarily use the church meetings on Sunday to capture people that need a relationship with him, but he uses us everywhere we are. And it's sometimes, many times, not even by our words, but it's by the quality of life that he brings us to, which is selfless, more and more selfless. I wish I was totally selfless, I'm not. Totally selfless, I'm not, because there's still selfishness in me. So this morning, I would just say this, or this evening, whatever we're in, that, you know, we have a father that's been given a bad rap. And one of the reasons that he's been given a bad rap it's not so much because of people in the pews, it's many times because of people standing in the pulpit. It's because of the way God has been portrayed. Uh, he's, he's been portrayed as an angry God. He's been portrayed as this and that or whatever. But we have to understand, Jesus made it clear. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus demonstrated, he interpreted God by his life. And I believe in, in, a, in, in measure, because Jesus, as we sang here today, he's alive in us. We're to interpret God through our lives. And that's why we need to mature, because none of us do it perfectly. But God has called us to demonstrate his love. He's called us to represent him through our lives here in the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we sing today, you are truly a good, good father. That's who you are. You've called us to yourself because in spite of us, you love us. That's what really is one of the most amazing things about you, Father, is that our, our ugliness, you still love us. Our imperfections, you still love us. Even when we disobey you, you still love us. You persist in your love for us. But Lord, we don't want to be disobedient. Uh, we, we want to be cured of our ugliness. We don't want to be people of the flesh. We want to be people who live by the Spirit, not flaky, but genuine, and depicting and manifesting to others who you really are. And so, Lord, to that end, we pray today. Be real through us, Lord. I pray that we would learn how to better yield to you let you have your way through our lives. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.